You're listening to an Imagine More podcast. The presentation you're about to hear was recorded as part of the 2021 Get That Good Life Conference. We've split this session into three parts. This is part three. Great. This is just a reminding that we really need to have some strategies to make sure that the whole team gets to talk about are we um, uh, making progress. This one's really powerful and it says, you know, is this person becoming someone in their life? And if you can pick any of those life areas, are they present and welcome in typical family um, and neighborhood and community spaces and roles? Um, are they doing things in typical ways that embrace the areas that we think are important? Are they contributing? Um, is there some mutual friendship? And you can just go down and say, how are we doing? How are we doing? Another one is five essential design questions, particularly good when you've just built a little building a context situation and you want to figure out, you know, is it a good place? Should we continue? Are there problems here? And the first question is one of the most important. Is this really um, a wonderful thing or is it just kind of pretend and we're just making it happen and or it's good enough for him, right? That's a good enough home. That job will be okay. You know, it's, you know, he's not very demanding. Um, those are, uh, those are red flags right from the start. And what you want to be doing is helping to identify red flags. So see, here's three for me. Um, special library times for people with sensory issues or who want quiet. And I'm thinking, well, I thought that the library was already the, the quietest place in the neighborhood, right? Um, a petting zoo that was set up, um, uh, typically it's for community. The one that I discovered was actually a day program that people actually had to pay to work there. When things are weird, um, Michael Kendrick says, don't do something weird when something ordinary will do. And it's one of my favorite sayings. And then I just really, I'm racing to get to at least saying a few words about guiding the team. Uh, just some thoughts on uh, uh, really trying to keep clear what does the supporter need right now? Is it a reminder of the vision? Is it a little bit more time? Is it uh, that, that they think they've got the skill, but they don't, and it needs to be broken down a little bit more? Um, is it basic information that they're missing? Um, is it part of the vision? Are they talking too much? Do they need to start listening? Do they need to be more reflecting and, and use a journal or something like that? And that leads to kind of some induction ideas. Just be firm on the things that are going to matter, that they're on time, that they're reliable, that they're well-groomed, and that their language and tone and respect is in line with what the vision calls for. Don't over-professionalize the roles. You don't need direct support professionals. You need real people who know how community works and how to relate to people. So set them up as a learner, really stroke that part of their personality. Keep a certain formality. You're often working out of the family home. They might be thinking, well, this isn't an office. I can dress however I want. Doesn't matter if I'm late. Mom and dad are around. You want to just keep that little uh, distance and edge. Discuss the role of bridge early. Uh, and then give them some other positive uh, kind of roles instead of thinking uh, that their staff are paid support or, or whatever. Provide them with some good reading. Uh, I'm sure Imagine More has lists and lists of that kind of stuff. And then really think about um, their future training and give them uh, opportunities. The whole team needs an opportunity for critical thinking. Uh, take a program that you think is outrageously, you know, segregated and not on your path at all and get people to articulate a why that isn't going to meet the re requirements that you all have for a good life for um, this person. Uh, that kind of thinking is really important. 
put your vision in writing. Um, it's really, really useful. Um, and if you have lines that you don't want to cross, um, so within my organization, we say to people, if you want to talk about group living, group leisure events, a day programs, that kind of thing, we'll be happy to help you get to know another organization. We're about one person at a time in real community together with families. Those are lines we don't cross and uh, uh, people love that clarity. And I just wanted to get to uh, just really important for people to know. You're always a role model. Um, every person in the family um, is constantly, including it on the team, is putting ideas into the minds of other people. Let's be careful with our language, how we appear, how we dress, how we talk to people, how we talk about people. We are either influencing people to think that this is a, an ordinary person who doesn't talk like I do, uh, but has lots in common with me, or someone weird and different that actually has nothing to do with me in my life. Right. We're hugely influential in that. The last idea, uh, this is a hugely important question at the very beginning of uh, the uh, team's relationship is to say to the paid people, when you leave, when I leave, what am I leaving behind? I want you to ask, you know, if you become the friend of the person and when you become so essential because you solve everything, you do everything, you're there instead of leaving behind bridges and connections and the scaffolding so that another support person can, can come on board and say, oh, this relationship is at this part. I can just help that along a little bit. So then it's all about the person that you're supporting and not you as a supporter. And um, helping people to realize right up front that likely they are going to leave and likely uh, they may not be a friend um, in the future. So let's, you know, if, if the happy day happens and those things aren't true, uh, so be it. But um, based on experience and based on the gaps and holes that are left in people's hearts when people make promises they can't keep, uh, let's work under this assumption. You can still be friendly, caring, loving, and more importantly, you can be a bridge that leaves something behind when you uh, need to be on your way. That's a whole lot of information, far, far too fast, but I just could go back for a moment. The thing that I um, missed out entirely is this whole idea of metaphor. And actually, you know, it's really great for your team to take a breath and do something more creative from t time to time. So the power of a good metaphor, you know, a metaphor is I am like, right? And so this is one that I did at one point in time. I was thinking about my direct support role at the time. And I said, you know, I'm like the wind beneath your wings in that, you know, I felt that I was invisible, but pretty basic and elemental, especially in the first stages of um, the role that that person was taking on, that I was incredibly sensitive. I had to be very nuanced around when I'd be there, when I needed to pull back. And I needed to be efficient. You know, I only had the time that, that she was in this place for, for me to do that. I needed to seek balance between being present and being um, far enough away so that the relationship could develop without me. I needed to keep lots of things in mind at the same time. Um, and then at the same time, that would be transforming. So I just thought that's the wind beneath the wings of a, a bird in flight was my kind of imagery around that. But when I've done this with other teams, you know, um, there's beautiful imagery around a chef concocting a perfect soup and trying to figure out what are the ingredients and making sure the person themselves also got to taste and add in. And another group came up with, a, you know, we're like the orchestra uh, conductor or a tour guide. Uh, someone said, you know, I'm really um, helping both parties to understand a world that the other doesn't quite understand fully. So there's lots of power in that kind of um, thinking in terms of metaphor.
That was wonderful, Janet. Thank you so much. And just so many practical tips that you've offered people to just sort of mull over and think about and consider. And speaking from experience where our son has a few staff members, I know that that's going to be really informative for them to sort of look at their role and reflect on what they can do better and and celebrate what they're doing well. So thank you. <laughs> I also just want to let people know that um, Janet was talking about Kelly's treats, um, a little business that she obviously got started through COVID. Well, the same has happened here. We've got a local young guy, Charlie Herbert, who started Herbert's Healthy Treats. So go and check it out and see um, whether you can purchase some dog or horse treats. So he's doing a fabulous job. Okay, so we've got some questions here, Janet. Do you have suggestions for getting a family member involved, such as discovering their interests, um, when vocalising these is really difficult for the person? Oh, yeah. You know, we just need to pay a lot more attention to people. You know, we want to notice what they're drawn to, what they spend time looking at, what they touch. Um who they really shine when they're in the presence of. Um, and then when we really understand what they're looking like when they're uh, kind of in their element, uh, we need to try out different things. And people say, like what, like what? Well, you know, I, I would look uh, first and foremost to age peers. You know, it doesn't matter if you're 20, 40 or 60. What are the 20, 40 or 60 year old in this community excited about? And is it music or is it a you know, an old fogies concert or, you know, and just go. And for lots of people, the first time of going is, is a little bit overwhelming to the senses. If people haven't been there, they don't know what to expect. So when, when I go to a concert, I've gone to many, many concerts. I kind of know what to expect. If this is my first experience of doing something, you know, you, you might need to do two or three or four or five times for people to get the gist and feel comfortable enough to really become themselves in that uh, venue. So, you know, we just need to pay attention, expose people, uh, you know, um, and go on little things. I was working with a team at one point who, uh, the, the young guy that they were uh, involved with, um, the only thing that they could say that he really, really liked, he seemed to be at his element when he had the fan in his bedroom blowing on his face. And that's what he liked. And, uh, and so we just went, where do you get to be with the wind in your face? And they went on exploring, you know, from amusement parks to uh, cars with open windows to, and, and the thing he enjoyed the most was one of those, um, uh, I don't know, uh, racing tracks where you're in a little cart and, uh, you know, and he liked, we think he liked the, the feel. He is a man who is visually impaired. So he liked the feel of the rumble on the, the road and the wind in his hair and being out and about. And there were people, but not a huge crowd. We think he could understand them, uh, you know, separately. And so when we began to know the interests, then we could jump, who could he be at this place? Right. Who, what are the possibilities? So. Uh, there is no little um, edge that's too small to tie that explore more widely. And, you know, it's a real ball often for support people to kind of be the people reporting in on how things are going and uh, uh, being part of that excitement. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And I think so often I've heard uh, where people suggest ideas to to the person and the safe answer is no, especially if they've got no idea what that might look like for them or how they can contribute or be involved. So 
um, yeah, maybe help them understand uh, what that might look like and how they can get involved. And that they don't always, um, today we're going to try out, you know, when we get there, if you don't like it after 15 minutes, you know, or, you know, if, if it's not good, if we don't like it, if the two of us don't like it, we're not going to stay, but we're going to check it out, right? And then think about what helps the person to stay a little longer. And is it bringing a snack along with you? Is it making sure that there's a coffee bar there? So when the person gets restless, you go for, you know, a break of some kind. Uh, you know, how do you uh, increase the time so the person can get uh, more used to things? Yeah, so it's not asking the question. It's suggesting this is what we're doing. So, yeah, that's really yeah. nice. Yeah. And that's where you get to also work on that bond that you've built, the trust bond with the supporter. So they're not the friend, but they certainly are the trusting, caring, safe person. Um, so if we're saying we're doing that together and the person otherwise has a lot of choice in their life, they probably won't even notice and say, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Right? Let's go and do it. Yeah, that's right. Um, can you give us an example of how a support worker has successfully become the bridge to a person in their journey. Um, this is with the hope to share with a support worker. Yeah, a bit of a story. story. Yeah. I, so I, let me just take one of the the Tiffany stories because I talked a little bit about her and people would be familiar. She's an artist. So uh, this was only um, maybe four or five years ago, which in Tiffany. Uh, Time is, is, is short, right? Because <laughs> these things have happened over now decades. But uh, four or five years ago, she wanted, um, just exposure to different art, different people. And, uh, we, uh, noticed they were looking for volunteers at a, a classier, um, kind of art gallery in the area than, than she goes to right now for her painting group. And so they were looking for volunteers of various kinds. And, uh, so she tried out some different things. And while she was kind of doing a pretty mundane task, but kind of, you know, like the people she was in the office with, there was a young curator there who was about Tiffany's age and, you know, like had nothing to do with Tiffany, no reason to be in the room. But she kept finding reasons to be in the room. And we, you know, the smart supporter thought, hmm, this person's kind of interested in Tiffany. And so she kind of drew her in and said, you know, so what's your job here? What's your role? And she says, oh, I'm a curator. And she says, what, what does that mean? Right. And so they talked about how she thought about exhibits and brought them together and everything like that. And we said, well, how do you come up with your topics and themes and ideas? And they talked then the curator, because she was a curious young person, wanted to know about Tiffany and found out she was an artist. And, you know, so Tiffany showed her some of her art and brought in some of her art. And then that got them to talking about the fact that they're always looking for a new angle to curate things. And they had never before had a curator with a disability. And they're talking now about co-curating, right? And so Carla is a person uh, that uh, she's in Tiffany's art world. So she's not part of her circle. She's part of her art friends. She gathers together for her for art purposes and they do some specific things together, but really nicely um built with this uh and I like to think that in the fullness of time, Carla won't remember for a moment the name of that supporter and only that she got to know Tiffany. And that I think is uh, you know, um fridges would need to be really, really happy with uh success without accolades of that kind. <laughs> yeah. And actually, probably what um, 
might help this person understand the, uh, with their question around what does BCR stand for and um, or in a BCR match. <laughs> so that's just that building a context for a relationship. That's that busy rant um, slide that I sh showed. And you're probably looking at the five essential design questions and saying, is it a BCR match? And that was code for people who knew those five elements and say, yeah, we've gone down them. So thanks for asking. <laughs> okay. Where do you recommend finding good support workers? Start with interest, question mark, and do you find attitude is important and then you can train them in support skills? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so lots bundled up there. You know, partly I've said uh, it, it, um, we get some raw materials, but we uh, make people rather than find a whole lot of people. Um, some people come with a better kind of personality match than others, but I absolutely go for the personality, the attitude, the openness, and that's a person who can learn, right? Um, if someone comes on and they, and they have a resume that's really tight around doing lots of support work in the past and uh, they're, you know, good at scheduling and they're good at all these other things, I just wonder, do they have the flexibility to do the learning that says, you know, out of what you used to do, we don't actually use this stuff, we use this stuff. Right. And, and so often we, I've had people say, Oh, I've got this great planning tool. Like it is all written out. We just have to fill in the blanks and it'll give us the answer. <laughs> okay. That's not a preference that um, is going to fit with this kind of uh, uh, an approach. And I think there was another piece to that. Yes. So we're asking, you know, to actually find a good support worker, do you sort of start with the interest? So that could be a good particular. Yeah. Just yeah, that's such a good question. Um, and I think there's two answers. Um, if uh, you're trying to specifically follow up with a clear interest um, that someone has, that's quite uh, like for Tiffany, we found a painting mentor that was paid for a while for her to explore her art with. So obviously we wanted someone who actually was an artist, a painter. Uh, but in general, you know, sometimes having someone who's more of a generalist makes the bridging even easier, right? Because you have to go out and search for that third person. And sometimes when people have a very, very specific interest, but this is a person who needs, you know, a, throughout the day, a wider range of um, support from personal care or some medical um, kinds of things, not, not everyone's got the did the mindset to do that so you might not find kind of a musician type so i think i use the very specific interests for you know very specific reasons and smaller time slots usually um, but people who provide you know a helping person to be um, a good neighbor and helping person to uh, be you know the manager of their home um, in those longer hours and more kind of graceful living uh, kinds of things to be more generic yeah, and it could be around, like a lot of people mention the importance of having friends, so that person's role could be helping them connect if that's difficult for them to do. Yeah. Um, we've got a question here. Isn't it so bad if my kids end up gravitating towards other autistic people? They just tend to join the same group's activities due to common interests. Right. You know, I think the question is, um, what's the interest, right? So if the interest is art or music or um, movies, um, many, many people have that interest. 
what people's comfort level is, what their experience is. They might be gravitating to things that they know and are comfortable with, and they haven't got the support or confidence developed to try new things. So it's not saying that people will never do that, but in a world where you feel welcome in all kinds of places, and we can help with that welcome, um, typically people would have a wider range of things they choose from, Uh, particularly if people have specific interests. They really want to be around people who will stretch them, not, um, uh, you know, accommodate um, the way they are right now alone, right? You really want people who uh, press you to be the best that you could be and try something new. And um, and then not to forget uh, that as uh, family members and friends of the person, you want them to have a few more people in their life who can play that safeguarding role, people who understand society, who can step into just situations, um, speak up for people and keep them safe. So you've got some really logical reasons to expand that as well. So, and the, the other thing I always say is I'm not into taking away from people's lives, but adding to. So you don't prevent that stuff from happening. It's just you try to add to that, add to that. And then people do have real choices. Um, it's just that you really want to support uh, those new choices super, super well and for a long, long time. Yeah, it's more than just trying it once. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look, Janet, that was really wonderful. Thank you so much. And we've had lots of comments, probably more so than um, questions because their minds are full, I think, with the ideas and strategies that you've actually provided. So thank you so much. You've been listening to Imagine More Podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and go to imaginemore.org.au for more great content.